it's making it more and more difficult for him to be uh, mobile. And, uh, and psychologically, it's taking its toll on him as well because, you know, he was so close to his date of surgery and then it got pulled out from under him and it was like a gut punch for him. And, uh, you know, he's 90 years old. And so his, you know, he, he knows he doesn't have another 20 years to enjoy the rest of his life. So he was so he was very much looking forward to the surgery that would enable him to have a greater quality of life for his remaining years. And now that's been taken away. All right. So what is the big deal about delaying elective surgeries? Well, you heard it. We are talking about life-saving surgeries that are scheduled instead of performed because of emergencies. And all over the province, the Ford government's canceled these surgeries because of hospital strains. So, you know, you hear that man talking about the pain that his 90-year-old father is in, who can't walk and lives in constant pain. That's the face of this issue. And I was reading the story about a three-year-old boy who has had his cleft palate surgery delayed after a two-year wait. This is a boy who's got a hole in the back of his throat, which leaves him unable to talk or sleep and has him constantly coughing nonstop. And the longer the surgery is delayed, the less success the surgery will have. So this notion that those being pushed aside for these non-elective surgeries is non-essential is simply nonsense. And morally and ethically, it should not be allowed to happen. And yet here we are doing it. Francesca Grosso, principal over at Grosso McCarthy's, a healthcare strategy firm, also an author of a book called Navigating Canada's Healthcare System and User's Guide to the Canadian Healthcare System. Good to have you. Great to be here. I think only when people start to kind of see the human face of this issue that it dawns on them that, that you know, we are picking winners and losers here and that the people in charge of running our hospitals have only focused on those who have COVID and we are sidelining and risking the lives of those who don't. Yeah, I feel healthcare is supposed to be about the human face, but I think you're right. I think it's more complex than that. Uh, I don't think it's just the hospitals. I mean, I think the government is very fearful of being blamed for not having done everything that it could to ensure that the capacity is there. And of course, what we're dealing with is not so much the concern only about COVID patients, but the absenteeism in hospitals and therefore a desire to make sure that you protect the capacity. But all of that being said, um, honestly, the sensible thing to have done, in my view, would, be, would have been to leave these decisions at the hospital level and not to have a directive from government forcing surgeries to be shut down across the board. These are decisions that hospitals are equipped to make. They make them all the time. And even if we could squeak through fewer surgeries, but, but some surgeries, we would be able to help the very people that, that you uh, you have you know that you had on on the earlier part of your program. So, I think that that's the big mistake is is making an edict that really shutters it all down, and it's getting worse and worse. And I really think that Ontario seems to be going in exactly the opposite direction of the rest of the world. So, if you take a look, for example, at South Africa, that was where this Omicron was first uh, discovered. They never actually shut elective surgeries. If you take yeah. a look at places like England, where they are having, they are struggling with big numbers every day. Uh, in Massachusetts, which is much less the population of Ontario, that Ontario has, and yet they're getting way more cases per day. They're not shutting elective surgeries, and they're finding ways to do them in 
community clinics, private clinics outside, they have a more robust system than we do. Take a look at Canada. You look at Canada and other provinces, Manitoba, the other week just uh, declared that it was going to start dealing with the backlogs, going to be sending people to clinics in the U.S. to have some spinal surgeries because they don't have the ability to do them. But they're going to be sending other surgeries to private clinics in Manitoba so that they can start addressing the backlog. The same in B.C., the same in Alberta, the same in Quebec. You you shrug your shoulders and say, why are we the only province that seems to be still shutting everything down? Yeah, and, you know, in seven, six days, uh, January 31st, we start opening up uh, half capacity on things, but elective surgeries will still not be going. Um, I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands of people who are literally just left to languish um, with no urgency, it doesn't appear, to get these people pushed through. Otherwise, I think we would have heard by now that, look, we're starting to bring back the surgeries, and, and we just aren't hearing that. Yeah, it is very, uh, it, it really is quite uh, disappointing because I would have thought that there would have been some signal by now. I'm still hopeful. I really am. Alex, I believe that enough people are being um, affected by this, impacted in a very, very bad way that I cannot imagine that government isn't isn't taking a serious look. And I'm really hoping it's going to reverse itself soon because I think they're going to reach a point where it's going to be too late for the public in the public's view uh, and, and you know, they've got to act. And this is the problem of analysis paralysis that we've always dealt with in pandemics and can't seem to learn our lesson that it's about nimble thinking and about causing the least harm that is more important than perfection, which we will never uh, attain. But it's also about learning from past mistakes. And, you know, on the two-year anniversary of the first case that was reported in this country of COVID, you know, we get this um, kind of look back to reports that were put out. I mean, in 2007, Justice Archie Campbell, who has since passed, he, he put out a blueprint of what we needed to do, fixing the hospitals, stockpiling PPE. He laid out a blueprint of what we needed to do so that, in his words, if we do not learn the lessons to be taken from SARS, and if we do not make present governments fix the problems that remain, we will pay a terrible price in the face of future outbreaks of virulent disease. He was talking at a time when a few hundred people died. Thousands yeah. have died. And, and he, he would be rolling in his grave, I assume. I mean, they've learned nothing and did nothing. Yeah. Uh, well, look, I was in government at the time when SARS hit. And I can honestly tell you that the, when I look at COVID, it is different. It's far more contagious, but it's not nearly as deadly. SARS, I believe, had a 45% death rate. I mean, it was really awful uh, in that regard. I'll tell you, I'm not very surprised at a lot of the issues that have come up. And it is, you know, Groundhog Day, as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, it is shocking to me, uh, the whole issue of, you know, it being aerosol and everybody being afraid to say it's aerosol rather than to say, hey, you know what, <laughs> grab masks, put them on, uh, because we really, we don't know. Well, what happened to the masks? They were stockpiling them, and then they basically stopped stockpiling them. And then last I heard, many of them had been destroyed because they didn't keep up the stockpiles, so they were considered to be expired. We had all the same problems, 
Alex, all the same problems. We had problems with cross-pollination of people going from one care setting to another and Mm -hmm. spreading the disease, people not wanting to wear PPE. We had it all. And yet, and yet here we are, and it seems like the people who were involved have never actually been tapped. I mean, nobody's ever called me or, or, or the guy who actually headed the file, uh, and and so this is a big problem, and we don't have institutional memory on these things, and we are repeating, making the very same mistakes. We are paying for yeah. it. So, you know, even, I'll tell you, uh, you know, one other thing, you know, we were talking about surgeries earlier. You know, this directive that shut all the surgeries down, this isn't the first time this was done. This was done last year as well. And I'm surprised that there has not been any kind of a postmortem to say, did it accomplish anything? I mean, it all mm-hmm. sounds good with all these intended goals, but did we really, was it worth it? And yet we're doing it again. It, it's almost as though we have to check boxes. We have to say we're, we're acting, but we are not completely convinced that whether our actions are actually doing more, more harm than good. And I suggest that sometimes they are. They are doing more harm than good. Yeah, well, we keep having people uh, build the Titanic. They just don't bother to build the lifeboats. And, you know, we're heading into an election in five months. And, you know, you can blame Ford for a lot of stuff going on right now. But, you know, you look at uh, Steve Del Duca. His government was in charge for most of that pandemic, um, you know, the after period of SARS. They clearly did nothing. Um, And it's led to a lot of what we're dealing with now. And so a pox on all their houses. But we have been failed by many, many people. And they just don't get fired, including those in health in in the actually yeah, running of these hospitals. <laughs> I agree with you, Alex. I don't think it's fair. I really don't think it's fair to point fingers at Doug Ford, and I think it's a little bit rich because as we were in government in 2003, um, and I recall when SARS hit, soon thereafter a new government was installed, and they were supposed to be the stewards of a lot of the thinking that took place and all of the directives that uh, that the justice put forward and that didn't happen, and that didn't happen. Yeah. So you can't blame. He inherited a lot of, of a broken system. However, however, I have to say I won't get him off the hook for trying to fix it. And so job one to me would be get surgeries back on track and to deal with the backlog yeah. of surgeries and to start to leverage other community clinics to be able to start to do these surgeries I think if he started to do that, that would go a long way because it's getting to a point where almost everybody knows somebody who had a surgery canceled. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Francesca, we'll keep talking about it. Very much. Always appreciate your time. Great. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Francesca Grasso joining us. She she deals with healthcare strategies. We need one. Here on Point, I'm Alex Pearson.